Hello, my friends. How you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, and I'm here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is episode 100. Can you believe it? And I can't think of any more fitting conversation to have than to be speaking with an educator. We all know as educators, we have so much respect for those that are doing the work with us. While there are many experts and professionals and people who are no longer in the classroom that are providing a wealth of information at the end of the day, hearing from people who are doing the same work as you is always so helpful. So Matt Staggs, who we're going to be speaking with, is not only a Lego education master educator, he's taught computer science, or he's going to be teaching computer science. He's worked with Makerspace, he's taught science, he's done STEM, he's done all of it. And so he gets to bring in a perspective of what are the similarities, what are the crossovers, how do we make all this stuff work, and how does it fit in a regular classroom, in a makerspace, in a STEM class, in a computer science class, and everything else under the sun. And because he's the educator in the classroom doing the work, it reminds me that, you know, if you know someone whose voice needs to be heard to help inspire and provide this new insights for many of us, you know, feel free to let me know. Leave a comment. Let us know who else we should be talking to so we can continue to get the voices out there. We can continue to help support one another. We can continue to constantly learn new ideas and strategies and techniques as we get through. As always, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, like it, share it with your friends, share it on social media, and all that good jazz. So the audio is a little goofy in this one, but the content's so good that I hope you have the patience to bear with it because it's simply worth your time. All right, my friends, enjoy. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug Bucks here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast and we are here with another amazing educator doing some, some great work and I'm really excited for this, this conversation. One, because um, I don't really know him all that well, but I do know that he's a Lego Education Master Educator, so that already puts him as uh, two virtual high fives up in the air in my book um, because there's so many amazing educators that are, are jumping into this, uh, th- this new cohort, but um, we want to dive right into the action here, and so let's let's go ahead and introduce our, our guest. So why don't you jump on in, introduce yourself, explain who you are, uh, where you're from, and, and, and what you do. All right. Uh, I'm Matt Staggs. I live in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, I currently am starting um, a brand new school at Bowling Green Junior High. Um, the last few years, I've uh, worked at Simpson County Schools doing... Um, all kinds of science and technology. I started off um, doing some sixth grade science, um, did a lot of hands-on um, project-based learning things, and then we ended up starting a makerspace at, in our district for the whole district. And so I ran that for a couple of years and then um, decided I wanted to get into computer science. Um, I took a few computer science classes in college and, and really enjoyed it. And my, I guess my passion for computer science was 
I didn't do so well in college, and I think it's because I didn't have uh, in those classes, and I think it's because I didn't have a foundation. So I wanted to give um, these kids that kind of opportunity, if that's something that they want to pursue, that they can um, have a little start in it as early as possible. Yeah, so you'll be teaching computer science this upcoming school year, correct? Yeah, I'm going to teach computer science and robotics. Um, I've done uh, First Lego League, which, um, for those that don't know, it's a robotics um, competition um, that kids will build a robot to uh, compete in a challenge. There's a challenge table with a bunch of different uh, missions on it, um, and then there's a project-based learning with it, and all-around great, uh, um, great program they've got. Yeah, so, so you mentioned that you, you've taught science, you, you operate a district maker space, you're diving in here to computer science and, and, and robotics, and I think um, a lot of times these, these categories these of, of education, of, of subject areas, almost have become siloed in, in some ways in terms of there's the STEM and there's the robotics and there's the computer science and, there, and there's makerspace. And I'm, I'm interested in, in, in your perspective because you've had a chance to do it all. What do you see being common threads throughout it? Because I think as, as much as it's, it's easy to put a label and an and, and acronym to a lot of things in education, in the end, we're all kind of striving for the same things. And so in your classroom with science with project-based learning and then diving into the makerspace and first Lego League and all that, what, what are some things that you've, you've seen or noticed that doesn't matter what it is, they're, they're essential ingredients for having some successful learning? Well, so first of all, like STEM, makerspace, robotics, programming, a lot of people, what I see is they, they picture it as, it, oh, well, that, that one teacher does all of that. Um, and so then they feel like that's the robot guy, that's the, the makerspace guy. Like, and then they feel it, that they can't or don't need to do those things that that teacher's doing. But like makerspace and STEM, just STEM in general, the, the, just the overall um, like method of learning STEM can be done by anyone and everyone. And... Um, you know, I, I see a lot of teachers kind of say, well, that's his thing. You know, that's that's what he does, or he's he teaches STEM, so that covers our whole school. And that's something that I would love for so many more teachers to get into is is jumping into that. There's related arts, or uh, I'm sorry, language arts, um, STEM activities that I've, ha I've had uh, some teachers do, some social studies related things. I actually had... Um, some uh, kids reenact the some wars. Uh, I'm not a big history buff, so I kind of let the teacher that I worked with uh, lead that. But like they made marshmallow shooters and went out and kind of shot each other, and and so that was uh, pretty fun. But that you know that's a STEM aspect that can be applied to a different subject that's not necessarily math or science or technology. You know. No, yeah, it reminds me when I when I worked at a middle school, we had a. Uh... At that point in time, our sixth grade students, um, the curriculum was ancient civilizations. And I remember we spent a couple of days just doing um, ancient warfare. So we were building catapults and trebuchets and just all sorts oh, yeah. of, you know, different type of ancient civilization uh, weaponry. Um, oh, yeah. And it was just a great opportunity for them to understand um, 
through a socialized lens, the STEM, because we now are bringing in, in science principles of kinetic and potential energy. And, and it was just a, a, a really amazing couple of days of building and learning and helping them kind of see like all these subjects do, you know, dance together. Oh, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I try and do, uh, especially when I ran the makerspace, I tried to break down the walls in between each subject. Um, there, It's often that teachers view their subject as a walled garden. You know, they only do the things that are in their subject. If they're language arts, they only focus on that kind of thing. Um, and they leave the hands-on making stuff to science, you know. And there's so many things you can make in every subject. And then when you do something, like you said, with um, uh, history, then you can apply some physics into it. Uh, you, there's always a lot of math and, and science. and you know, there's a lot of history or science and history that can be brought up. Um, so STEM is not a one person deal. It's it should be an every person deal. Yeah. And so and I know you, you mentioned that you operated the, the district makerspace for a couple of years. And so um, I, I am interested in, in terms of how did your makerspace operate for your district? I mean, I, I just got done chatting with uh, Diana Redina, who does a lot of great work with makerspace, and, and we had a great conversation just on the idea of this, you know, there's not one size fits all when it comes to makerspace. You have to kind of make it work for your building, or in your case, your district. And so um, there's so many people that are trying to figure this out. And so um, I, I, I'm intrigued by, by how you kind of operated your makerspace from like a district perspective, um, yeah. because most people have it in a library, like within their school. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say like before I get into like the the money and requirements for ours, I want to say that if you're thinking about making a makerspace, just do it. Like get a Lego kit or a Connects um, set or a a bin of rubber bands or dowel rods or rulers. Like just just start accumulating junk and leave it there for the kids to play with um maybe set up some boundaries for them or whatever but um like as far as like cleanup goes and things like that but you know have them make trebuchets and, and catapults and egg drop challenges and maybe have them build a tower out of pieces of paper um you know so makerspace before i get into my bigger makerspace your makerspace can be small. It doesn't have to be anything too crazy. Um, so moving on to ours, how Simpson County did it. Um, we, uh, about, let's see, four years ago, um, our my superintendent came to me and was like, hey, have you heard about makerspaces? Uh, we're thinking about doing one. Uh, we'd like for your, your input. I had already been doing a lot of um, making things in my class, really, before I even knew about makerspaces. Um, and so he came to me, and um, I was interested from the get-go. And so we toured some, we toured some makerspaces. We did a lot of research, had some meetings. Uh, ultimately, we took a bus garage that we were about to tear down. We um, instead of tearing it down, we bricked up the doors and um, remodeled the inside and we had a small budget <clears throat> when I say small budget it was, um, it was actually a decent budget but um, we had a budget where we could we bought 
like some 3D printers. We bought CNC machine. We bought some Lego kits, um, a bunch of consumables, tools, things like that. Um, and so when I finished my third year of uh, teaching science, uh, the position for that makerspace opened up. And so I applied for that and, and received that. And it was a two-year grant for my position. And um, so I took that. And the way I ran the makerspace was I looked at, um, I sent out some feelers. I, I sent out an email to the district and said, um, you know, this is our space. This is what we can accommodate um, you with. These are our, this is what we have available. And the main thing that I think brought in the most people was I asked, what are you teaching now? What are you going to be teaching in the next couple months? And so some of them would reply, hey, right now we're, we're learning this. Um, and then we're going to move into that. And so um, I looked at those standards and I tried to come up with lessons for that. So, for example, um, some second grade, they were learning magnets and then they were about to move into electricity or vice versa. And so I found a really cool um, um, make your own speaker kit thing. So you basically use a... Um, styrofoam plate, some magnets, um, and, you know, put it all together, and we were able to play music on our homemade speakers. Um, so the, the kids would come over to my makerspace, I'd have all materials laid out, we'd have a quick lesson over how a speaker works, why it works, um, and then we put it all together uh, with the help of the teachers, um, using the hot glue and all that stuff, and uh, then plugged them into some to some amplifiers and, and rocked out to some music. Um, we also did some stuff with high school. They were learning uh, projectile uh, physics, so we made some trebuchets, and so we calculated how long the projectile was in the air, the distance. Um, we set up um, an iPhone on a tripod with a slow-mo camera so we could measure how tall it went up, and, and so we did all kinds of calculations with that. Um, you know, a lot of just really cool hands-on making lessons that I would invite um, traditional teachers over to that space to, to work on. I mean, that just sounds sounds incredible. And so I know, like, so many people that I work with here locally and then just through online stuff, I mean, you're able to get some people on board. And so how are you able to get those educators on board to come in and use the makerspace? Because I think... One of the things that I'm seeing with, with makerspaces that have now been established for um, a couple of years is they actually finally have some project ideas, they actually have materials, they finally have a space, but they're struggling with getting the educators on board. And I think it yeah. comes to, it's, it's, it's a time constraint. I don't know that educators are against it. It's just like, where do I fit this into my day where I already have 20,000 other expectations? And so how did you craft those conversations or how did you get that buy-in um, to be able to do some of those amazing projects? Well, the, one of the ongoing things that um, our superintendent would say uh, to kind of sell it was, you come make the mess, we'll clean it up. And one of the deterring things from doing a lot of labs uh, for, for teachers um, is the cleanup. Uh, if you're a uh, traditional teacher that has like a 55-minute class, and then there's a three-minute break in between each class, you don't have time to 
to run a lab and clean it up. You know, you might be able to run the lab but not clean it up, or you might be able to clean it up but then have to cut the lab short. Um, and so the Makerspace helped those teachers be able to run an entire lab um, in, our, in our space, and then myself and then my assistants would clean up the mess for the next group. Um, so that was a huge... Uh, selling point for a lot of them because some of our some of our um, activities that we did had a, had quite the mess um, and and some teachers don't necessarily like to make their room messy but you know that was what our space was for it was for making really large messes and being able to take care of that so that was a one of the big buy-ins um, another one was I did a lot of the planning for the teachers um, so, like I, like I said, I would say, what are, what are you teaching now? What are you going to teach? And then when they would send that to me, I would work on it and reply back, hey, this is the lab or an activity that I'd like to do. Um, I've already planned it out. The, the only thing I need you to do is do A, B, and C when you get here, and I'll do um, D through Z. And, you know, it it took a lot of the, the work off of the teacher. Um, and then... After I got them hooked, then I started incorporating them more and more into the space and, um, you know, asking, like, what would you like to do in this space? What are some things that you think the kids need to experience? And so towards the end of that two years, there were some times where I just opened the door and turned on the lights and then cleaned up, you know. And so I wasn't necessarily leading any of the lessons. It was kind of the teacher teacher led, um, and so the that was kind of how it evolved over those those two years. I really like that approach, and I think it's something that um, we need to think about more. I think as 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 a culture of educators, where I really really love that slogan um, that you guys had about we'll, we'll clean up the mess because what you're doing is you're not you're you're not putting people up against one another. I think that's what happens. Like we have this makerspace, we have this person here, therefore you must use it. And it feels like one more thing for the classroom educator and pose. You, you addressed a very realistic concern of there's just not enough time to do all the things that we know we should be doing for kids. And so um, I really think that brings down some barriers um, because what you tend to see in, in some schools that already have maybe some, some cultural issues to begin with is it becomes like a us versus them, right? Like this makerspace, why do they get all this cool stuff when yeah. I'm the one in the, in the every day grinding out in the classroom with 30 kids every 40, 50 minutes? Like, why don't I get that stuff? You know, and it, it, it's an unintentional consequence. And so I, I think that, that, that message, that, that idea you just shared is, is a good one for a lot of schools to think about in terms of like, how do you bridge the issues that schedules and stuff bring to the table of education and how do we work together to achieve a, a, a goal that, that, that we're all after. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the issues that we did have was scheduling. You know, sometimes our labs took longer than, um, you know, the one class period would allow. And so there were times um, where a team would, maybe have um, two periods. They would take uh, first and second period and, and basically chunk that together. So um, a teacher would have, uh, like science teacher would bring them over for two periods, and then they would bring over the next class for two periods, and then the next day 
they wouldn't have those two classes. They so they would have like um, math and science on the first day for that whole day, and then the next day the kids would have language arts and social studies. That way, it allowed us to have um, a longer um, in-depth lesson, and so um, the you know the class time was the same over those two days. It was just a little bit of a schedule change, um, and that that didn't that wasn't too uh, difficult. Yeah, and so you had this uh, amazing journey here, where you you were a science teacher in the makerspace, and now you're heading mm-hmm. into computer science and robotics and. Computer science is picking up a, a ton of momentum across the nation. I know um, here in Iowa, anyways, we just passed computer science standards, and so the expectation is everybody should be teaching computer science K-12 um, starting this upcoming school year. Um, and so there is – I always joke with, with educators who are trying to figure out how to make this stuff work that it's really the wild, wild west of education because – there's, there's some places doing it really well, but for the most part, people are scratching their head going, how in the world do we do computer science? And so um, I am interested, even though I know it's a, a new position, you don't, you don't have all the kinks wrinkled out yet, but as you head into this new school year, teaching computer science, what have been some things that you're, you're thinking about or some structures you're thinking about putting in place in order to make that computer science successful? Well, this year I have, well, last year I went from having the most 28 kids in a class to this year having 36. So it's it's a, a little bit of a jump as far as like the number of kids in the class. And so one thing that I really want to hit harder this year, which I, I toyed with a little bit last year, I want to hit the self-paced aspect that can fit into computer science so much easier, I feel, than, than other subjects. Um, with computer science, you teach them um, a core concept, and then um, at least the the way that I teach it, they the kids are able to move on. Um, a lot of the times, we are having Johnny who understands this, or Susie who understands this stuff so well. We're making them wait just so that we can have um, Alex, who's kind of fallen behind, have them get caught up. And so last year I did um, an HTML and CSS unit um, where they made websites and I had some kids finish it um, within a week of uh, starting the unit and then others it took them five weeks. Um, and so the, the having the kids to go at their own pace um, has has been awesome. Um, there was one girl, uh, that I had last year. Her name was Neely and she finished it. Like I said, within that first week and she's like, what else can I do? And she was just hungry for this. And I, you know, I was really shocked that she, she went through it and she said that she loved it so much. She worked on it at home and she didn't want to stop. Um, and that is something that I've never really had, um, in the classroom, I've never had a kid say, oh, well, I love tectonic plates so much, I'm going to go home and study it myself. <laughs> um, and so in computer science, it is very easy to to do the self-paced learning. Um, you know, one thing that I would say for other teachers that are looking to get into this, um, if you can have a dedicated teacher for it, 
definitely do that, um, but it, that's not necessary. Um, I use code.org for my curriculum. I also use Girls Who Code for my curriculum. I do Lego stuff. Um, and that stuff might be, oh, I also use Scratch. Um, you know, that some of that stuff might be a little beyond what you are, of, like, ready to do right now. But two years ago, I didn't know any um, JavaScript. I didn't know any HTML. And by teaching these classes, um, that pretty much uh, taught me what I need to know to teach it. Um, and I, you know, I try and teach it to my kids that failure is always an option, and sometimes it's the better option than success. Um, so it is okay for, I expect my students to fail, and one of the biggest hurdles for me was understanding that it's still okay for me to fail. It is okay for me to answer a question with, I don't know, as long as you follow it up with, but let's figure it out, you know? In computer science, really what you're doing is problem solving. You are trying to get this image to move in this direction. You're trying to get um, this paragraph to appear on this page with this format, and it's not working. So you have to figure out what can you do to get that to happen, to get that to work correctly. Um, and so I highly encourage any teacher out there that is remotely thinking about doing coding, um, please do it. Um, take a little bit of time out of your class. Teach your kids how to do Scratch, which is super easy to learn. Um, and Hour of Code um, is something that Code.org has been pushing for the last few years. Um, Computer Science Education Week is like, I think, the second full like the second full week of December or something like that. It's, it's early December, uh, but they push out all kinds of Hour of Code um initiatives uh they come out with new games every year um have your kids play around with that and then um see where it goes from there um one thing that i really would love to see is instead of making a model or making a powerpoint or making a poster in a class i would love to see a kid come to me and say hey i would like to make an animation using javascript or i'd like to make a website using html for this uh for this class can i spend computer science class time to work on that heck yeah i would love for um, a kid to take computer science and really release their creativity on on the rest of the world and the rest of their classmates yeah and i think that's that's something that is, is so exciting about that field, especially for those that start to discover they have an interest or a, a passion for computer science. I mean, the possibilities are truly endless. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as you start to think about using the, that as, as a platform, another tool in their tool belt to to express their learning as as they go through their their whole kind of education career. And I know as you were talking, you mentioned like the self paced learning, which is I think. Really, really important. I know as we continue to try to push this idea of competency-based education, meeting kids where they are, and, and, and try to make all that stuff happen. Um, but you mentioned class sizes of over 30, um, and you talk about self-pace. And so I'm sure every educator um, listening is, is, is interested in knowing, like, how do, you, how do you manage that? So you've got all those kids. You've got everybody at different stages of the game of learning. How do you not lose your sanity through that process because I think it's something that 
so many people want to do. They know that that's the way to go, but they're just not sure, like, what does it look like in the day-to-day operation? The, the way to not lose your sanity is to not have it in the first place. <laughs> that's, the, that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, when you have a huge class size, um, sometimes self-paced actually works better than guided because if you have um, three or four kids, like let's say a, cl- a class of 30, um, which is a, a decent sized class, if you've got three or four kids that don't know what you're talking about, um, you know, that's 10% of your class where 90% is ready to move on. You know, you necessarily can't teach that next part if those three kids don't understand it. And so if it was all self-paced, you could call those three kids over to your to your desk or you can have them huddle around and work with them one-on-one on, or, well, one-on-three or four on that that's particular topic while everyone else is is advancing now the you will run into kids that just don't want to work that day um, or they'll think that they're far enough ahead that they can take a day off that's gonna happen just like we all have um, days where we don't want to do something and you got to remember that you only have them for like an hour um, and so that hour that you have with them might be the, maybe they had a really hard uh, period before them or they're about to take a test or something like that. And so in my class, at least, um, letting them go at their own pace, that means that they can work harder the next day to get caught back up or they can work really hard the day before. I've had several kids that um, have asked me if they could study for a test in my class uh, for another class. And I, I start off the nine weeks saying, like, you know, the, at the end of the nine weeks, this is all the stuff that's due. I give them a pacing guide. You should have this done by this day. Um, and so a lot of the times I let them make that decision on whether they can do that or not. Sometimes it'll bite the kids in the butt. Um, but other times kids will say, I can't do that because I'm a little bit behind the pacing guide. Uh, um, and, you know, you're... The kids that it bites them in the butt, that is probably a lesson that they need to learn eventually. Like, when I got to college, I had to pick and choose when and where I did all of my studying. You know, up until um, college, I never had to do that. It was always structured. Like, we have a test tomorrow, so we're going to take today to study for that test. You know, it it was structured. But when I got to college, hey, we have a test next week, and then... We wouldn't hear anything about it until you show up and then there's the test, you know? Um, so trying to get these kids to um, take charge of their learning um, is one of the things that I think the self-paced learning really helps knock out. Um, but, you know, it does have drawbacks. You are going to have kids that uh, will decide not to work very, very often. And so that's, as a teacher, you just need to make sure that you're circulating a lot, you're interacting with them a lot, you're keeping track of where they were. If they were on lesson six um, yesterday and lesson six the day before and lesson six the day before that, you know, then maybe you need to work with them and, and make sure that they're um, doing what they need to be doing. 
um, if that requires a relocation of a seat or revoking of privileges or something like that, then then that's your call. But um, I love the self-paced thing because you're not holding back that, like that the girl that I mentioned earlier, Neely, you're not holding her back um, just because you have three or four kids that, that need to be retaught, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that happens so much, um, not always intentionally, where we kind of teach towards the middle or towards the bottom just because it's hard to move on when we have so many, or in this case, a small group maybe doesn't understand that we're really impacting the learning of so many more by trying to focus on, on so few. And so that self-pace allows us to put the focus on each kid where they are and give them the help, help when needed. So I think that that's a really important insight and I appreciate you, you sharing some of that. And so yeah. as we kind of come full circle, we've, we've covered quite a lot of ground here in a, a half hour here. And so people listening in, they're, they're either diving into makerspace or they're diving into computer science or they're trying to just figure out how to get more hands-on learning within their classroom. Um, and you've kind of, dabbled in all these fields here and 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 it, it's exciting to talk to someone that has that experience and all that what are some some final words of wisdom or insight or just some some tips or tricks to getting started i know earlier you said you know just dive in and get going if you want to figure out this coding stuff you just you just got to start doing but are there any other things that you've learned that someone listening might just need this you know a little kick in the pants to to, to realize okay it's time for me to dab my toe in the water yeah so there is, you know, I have uh, two and a half year old twins, and when we were um, in the process of, you know, do we want kids now? Should we wait? The common saying is, if you are waiting until you're ready, you're never going to be ready, or you're never going to have kids, you know. And it's very similar to this. If you're waiting to do a makerspace until you find some funding, if you're waiting to teach programming until you're better at programming, if you're waiting to start a robotics team until whatever reason, if you're waiting, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, currently in my new school, we're, we're starting a makerspace in our library. We're going to take a, a quarter of our library, turn it into a makerspace. And the person that I'm working with, uh, our um, librarian, she's on board 100%. Um, but, you know, we... We could wait until we have some funding, some funds to do um, to put in that area. But if we do that, then we could essentially be waiting forever. Um, I highly, highly encourage you if you're thinking about it, just go ahead and do it. Um, you, you, it's 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 a trial by fire, but it is a fun trial. Um, you, you, you'll get into it. Hopefully, you'll like it. If you don't, you. You know, you, you're not really out too much um, with with the kids. Um, when I talk to them about failure, failure is something that happens every single day for every single person, no matter how good you are. Sometimes the failures are really small. Sometimes they're huge. But the thing that failure does is it teaches you. It teaches you how not to do something, how to do something next time. Um, and we as humans need to not be afraid to fail in what we're doing. So don't be afraid to fail. Just get out there and do it. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's, you know, it's a, a message, uh, an idea that, that we can all apply. And I think that's something that's really important. It's, it's We just have to go for it and, and not overthink it. And there's many times as educators, we overthink it 
um, because we want things to be just perfect for our kids because with, with the greatest intentions, sometimes we can be our own biggest roadblock to uh, unleashing some, some amazing learning opportunities. And, you know, when, when I was doing research for, like, how should I make a makerspace and, like, what should I put in my makerspace, it is so easy, so easy to get discouraged by um, seeing all these posts on Pinterest of these very, very pretty and elaborate and very organized makerspaces. Please don't uh, buy into your makerspace having to be rainbow color-coded or anything like that. Don't worry about that. Um, in in my computer science class, I, we talk about um, the Instagram lifestyle. Like, you know, there are models on Instagram that, that make a ton of money by printing themselves up and showing them sitting on top of a Lamborghini when they rented that Lamborghini for the day. You know, they they dressed up, they put makeup on, they did all these things, they, they got a professional photographer to take that photo. But the other 23 hours of the day, they're just like you and I. And so your makerspace does not need to be like these Pinterest quality photos all the time. My makerspace that I ran in Simpson County was pretty messy most of the time. Um, it, you can ask my, my supervisor on that one. Uh, but, you know, please don't be afraid to make a mess. It's okay if you're, um, if all of your activities are in um, random cardboard boxes. It's there for the kids. Um, the kids will, they don't care what kind of box it's in. They just care what's inside of it. And um, as a teacher um, running a makerspace, you just need to spark their creativity, get them thinking, get them doing, get them making. Yeah, I mean, at the end, we, we need to spend more time on the culture and, and building the, the learning space, the safety for kids to go out and experiment and tinker and design. Yes. Not so much on making it look picture perfect, as you talked about. And, you know, we always, it's baby steps. You know, over time, you can begin to make things look nice and color-coordinated. But if you don't have the relationships and the culture, none of that stuff stuff matters at all. Yeah, and if you're waiting to make, like, if you're waiting for 30 uh, shoe boxes from, from Walmart to go on sale or something like that, don't wait for something like that. You know, get get the content that goes in those containers, get um, all of that together, let the kids play with it, because odds are you'll start your makerspace, and then in three months you'll be like, I don't like how this is here, this is there. I, I need to change this up. And then everything that you just invested in is kind of just out the window anyway. Your makerspace is not going to be perfect from the beginning. It is definitely something that's going to evolve over time. And, um, you know, if for the individual teachers that um, maybe have a makerspace already in their school, start one in your class. You don't have to go to the library uh, to enjoy that makerspace. Um you know, start one of your own. Um, something that I uh, loved um, when I had uh, when I taught sciences, I did several breakout EDU things, and that's that's a pretty simple thing that you can have uh, that's hands-on uh, learning for your kids to do as well that you can incorporate in your own little makerspace. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's 
lots of those little beginning steps that we can begin to dabble to, to kind of build confidence for ourselves so we can turn around and build that, that, that confidence in our, in our students. And, geez, break out EDU, uh, we can have a whole conversation on that. <laughs> yeah. That is a, a, good, a, a good starting point to, to do a lot of that kind of hands-on learning and exploration and, and thinking for sure. Yeah. Well, Matt, I want to be uh, definitely respectful of your time. Um, Everything you mentioned here in the show, we will we will put those links um, in the show notes for people to access. I know you mentioned our code and code.org and break edu and everything else. So we'll make sure we get all those links for those that are interested in that. Um, if people want to reach out and and find you or follow up with some conversations, well, where are the best places for, for people to uh, reach out to you at? So um, you can email me at john, J-O-N dot stags, S-T-A-G-G-S at bgreenschools.kyschools.us. Uh, um, uh, we'll put that in the, in the notes down below as well. Um, my Twitter, I am not very active, but I'm really hoping to uh, get better at that. It is Matt underscore Staggs. Um, it's at Matt underscore Staggs. Um, I don't tweet very much, but... Um, I would love for all of your listeners to tweet me and keep tweeting at me every once in a while to get me active um, again on there. So, Perfect. This has been a wonderful conversation. You've given us lots to think about, lots of great insights. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on your, on your journey here with the computer science and robotics and whatever else the future holds for you, and I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to uh, chat with me today. All right. Thank you very much. It's been a blast.